Good morning. It's Tuesday, June 13th. You're listening to Red Sea Roundup, and I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm. I've got some very interesting guests today. We're going to have two segments, and today is the Feast of St. Anthony of Padua. And uh, anybody who goes to a St. Anthony's church, I wish you a happy feast day. And for those of you that are Italians and didn't know it, St. Anthony was actually Portuguese by birth and began his life, uh, his religious life, as an Augustinian and then joined the Franciscans. Uh, later on, he, he wanted to go to uh, the uh, North Africa to convert the Moors. He got ill, and he, as a result, he ended up in Italy, and found they found that he was a tremendous preacher. And today, for anybody who's lost anything, including a child, this would be a good day to pray the Tony Tony prayer. And the reason why St. Anthony is the patron of lost items is that at one point in time, he had a, a very book that was very dear to him. It was a handwritten copy, copy of the Psalms with a lot of his notes in it. And a disgruntled a man in the Franciscans ran off from the Franciscans and took the, the Psalter with him. And uh, St. Anthony prayed, and not only the Psalm book, but also uh, the young man came back to the Franciscans. It, it's uh, it was with some sadness today that I have to tell you and ask for prayers for the repose of the soul of Vancey Mays. She died yesterday. She is the husband of Deacon Dave Mays over at St. Anthony or St. Thomas Aquinas, the wife of De- Deacon, I'm sorry. Uh, but anyway, so I would ask your prayer for her. Uh, and today, uh, is the, the gospel for today is about letting your light shine. And, and, and as you will hear when I visit with my guest today, you will find out that these are people that really let their light shine. And my first guest today is Patricia Chalupsky. She is the... Uh, I guess the communications person for the St. Thomas Aquinas garage sale. And I'd like her to tell us a little bit about this garage sale, maybe its history and what's going on. Patricia, how are you doing this morning? Thank you. I'm for doing being... great. Thank you, Gene, for having given us this time to talk to you about our St. Thomas Aquinas garage sale. It's really a phenomenal thing that happened. It started in the 80s, the late 80s, it was just a little old garage sale in a little room at our church, and the purpose of that garage sale was to produce some seed money so that we could have a fall festival, a family event with kids and uh, all kinds of games and things like that. Well, of course, it has grown into a huge, huge garage sale, and of course, we've had our fall festival every year since then. Um, So it's it's spawned off a lot of other opportunities for our community, for our church. Um, it's a great community effort. It's a great service that everybody can partake in in various ways. And it's a chance for us to give back to our community. Um, people come from all levels of life and um, socioeconomic status, and they find their little treasures, as they say, you know, somebody's junk is somebody else's treasure, and we have had a huge response of donations that have come in. We have all kinds of items, all kinds of clothes, all sizes, all kinds of shoes, all sizes, in great condition. I mean, I was working the shoe department yesterday with Tina Noah, and 
we have shoes that came in brand new in boxes. It's unbelievable, in great shape. We have electronics, we have quilts, we have furniture, we have various washer and dryers, we have refrigerators, we have exercise, sports equipment, books, collectibles, you name it, we probably have it there. And we also have a little, um, a couple of tables of religious items, too, from crosses. For those, uh, so this isn't just for women, because if I, I remember from one of the last times I was there that the men will uh, sort of drool over the lawn equipment and the tools that are there as well. Oh, my gosh, yes. And we have so many bicycles. It is for all, kind, all walks of life. We have walkers. We have tables and chairs. We have saws. We have uh, outdoor um, uh, boating items. You name it, we probably have it. When you so it's a great opportunity for men and women and children. We have a huge collection of stuffed animals and um, various other things, too. Now, when you say this is large, some people may think, well, it's, it's a two, two- or three-car garage. How large is this, Patricia? Oh, my gosh. We are running out of room to put the things, to tell you the truth. We have our... Zurich Hall is completely full. Our uh, parish activity center, which is, uh, takes up like two basketball courts, and many of our wedding events happen in that center. Uh, we have the outdoor covered area. It's got all kinds of things from sofas to file cabinets to uh, garden equipment to uh, tools, equipment, and uh, then we have the grass area that's full of all the bicycles that we have. And it's so I re- as I it's recall, huge. most of the items that are there are very nice. I mean, uh, you wouldn't mind having them in your house or a garage. That's, that's correct. That's correct. And um, it is a great opportunity to come and buy something that you need, either for yourself or for somebody else. And uh, uh, we, in the past years, we have received very, very favorable comments about how wonderful our garage sales are. Uh, It's very organized. It's air-conditioned, the majority of it, except for the outdoor area. And we also give um, ice water to our participants that are coming in. So we try to make it as comfortable as possible. We even have Spanish-speaking uh, people available. Tenemos personas que se puede ayudar con la idioma de español. <laughs> and it is, we try to make it as accommodative and easy for the people as possible that are coming to look over our items, to buy our items, because then this money is used for other organizations, other um needs in the community. You were telling and, me uh, it's a great opportunity. You were telling me the other day too is, that you uh, will actually be selling some snacks and things for when the children get hungry because you're so busy they're shopping that that they've missed their lunch. Yes, there is a concession stand that's going to be set up and there'll be some items there for sale. Okay. But the water that we're giving will be cold and free okay. and bottled water. So Tell- Tell yeah. us the hours of this sale, and I know there's one. There's something Friday night that's different, and then there it's... Yes, yes. 
Jean, you're correct. Um, well, the sale officially begins June 16th, Friday, from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m., and it's the early bird sale, so to say. There's a $5 entry fee, and all prices are doubled. There's a great response to this sale. People just want to come and get the best they can find first. Um, then it'll be Saturday morning from uh, June 17th from 7 a.m. to 12 p.m. Oh. So it's a short number of hours, and the purpose is to just get it done. We start really, uh, we want to move the stuff. We want the people to take the, the items. We want them to get a good deal. And um, towards the end of the sale, there'll be, of course, uh, prices are going to be slashed even more so. But as we say, the early bird gets the worm, and uh, if you want to get the best selection, you better get there early. Well, yes, and, I, and uh, anything that's left over after the sale, it, just doesn't, it doesn't just get dumped in the garbage bin either, does it? No, no, no. It gets packed up, and it's sent to other charities. Uh, like St. Vincent de Paul uses, uh, gets a lot of the items, and it goes to other communities that need it for people who are homeless, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a win-win for everybody. Nothing goes away. So what would be the, uh, what would, should somebody be there extra early to get first choice on Saturday? or come, if, you, if you don't think you can get Friday night and uh, want to spend the $5 and pay twice, how early should somebody line up to get there? Well, people start lining up about 6 in the morning uh, or even earlier so that they can be the first ones in. I so the sale starts at 7 a.m. on Saturday. If they were much more enthusiastic about this, it would have to be a rock concert that they were trying to get tickets for. <laughs> it's getting there. It's getting there. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you have a lot of volunteers. And we have a lot of volunteers. We can use more volunteers if you're interested, especially um, if you're a member of our parish. Um, you can go to www.stabcs.org. That's our website uh, for St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic And you can also get information on this. Uh, you can also get information on this by going to the stabcs.org website and looking at the garage sale, right? That's so, correct, Jane. Okay. Uh, are you still taking donations? And if so, what kind of donations we are you are still taking? We are taking donations. I don't know where we're going to put them, but we are still taking them until Wednesday. Okay. Now, if somebody says, look, I've got this sofa that I need to get rid of, but all I've got is a Honda, Hyundai, Hyundai and yes, I have no way of getting there. we have people that are transporting we have uh, vans and big trucks and trailers that can go and pick it up, and we've done that with many, many people. Now, who should they contact? Who should somebody contact if they have donations that they want to give, and how should well, they do that? Well, uh, they can contact the church, or they can go ahead and contact Jerry Chalupski. He's coordinating this, and his number is 281. I'm sorry, you broke up, uh, Patricia, or did we lose you? We may have lost her. Uh, Jerry Chalupski is her husband, and uh, probably the easiest way is to contact the church. And I have the church bulletin here. I can give you the phone number if you give me just a second. The church phone number is 979-693-6994. That's 979-693-6994. And uh, uh, 
Sandy uh, Ainsworth will probably answer the phone, and she can help you with that and get you the information that you need. Uh, having personally experienced this and having worked this uh, year or two, it is a tremendous experience, and you will see people that you've never seen before and people you, you just can't imagine how the, the St. Thomas Aquinas Parish comes together to make this happen. Uh, I don't, we're going to try to get, we can't get Patricia back. Patricia, I'm sorry that we lost you. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to take a quick break and then Daryl and Lori Nagel are going to be here. And those of you in the Central Texas area probably know them better than the people in the Bryan College Station or Palestine area. Uh, They're a tremendous couple and you're really going to enjoy listening to them. Welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Gene Wilhelm, and I am so happy that you're here with us today. If you uh, would like to call in and ask a question or make a comment, uh, you can get us at 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. We lost uh, Patricia Chalupski right before we went on break, and uh, she was trying to give the number where that you could call if you wanted an item picked up. And that's for her husband, Jerry. And that phone number is 281-935-0574. That's 281-935-0574. If you have an item that you want to donate to the St. Thomas Aquinas garage sale and you're not able to get it there because it's too large. And now I've got some guests here with me that I have known for many, many years. And I've known at least their son. I've met their daughter. Daryl and Lori Nagel. And Daryl, you are youth minister at St. Jerome's in Waco, right? That's correct, Gene. And you've been there for a number of years. I've been there almost five years now. Okay. But this isn't the first time you've been youth minister, is it? No. I was youth minister in Dallas for uh, eight years back in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, I was volunteer for five years and paid for three years. Up there. Right. Okay. And Lori, uh, you, you ministered with Daryl uh, there in Dallas. And I did. <laughs> and are you still ministering with him now? or You know, not quite as much anymore. Um, we are older now, <laughs> and I am teaching once again, which takes a lot of my energy. So um, not as much as I'd like to be, but we are still in it together. And it, it, that's good, because that, that makes it very interesting. And the youth need to see a, a married couple a lot of times to know exactly what what life is all about for most of them, or will exactly. be like for all mm-hmm. of them. Now, you are from very different parts of the country and very uh, different situations. Uh, Daryl, you're from where again? I grew up on the farm in Indiana. Okay. And uh, we raised uh, corn and soybeans and hogs. Okay. In that order? Uh, well, it was all seasonal. Hogs were year-round, but the corn and soybeans were seasonal. And Laura, you're from where? I grew up in the city. Um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, and then from Dallas, Texas. Okay. And how in the world do the two of you meet? 
we met at college, went to a small uh, Christian college in Tulsa, and uh, her brother, John, had transferred up, and he and I became friends, and then his little sister transferred up. Well, and, where did you start school, Lori? Um, I In college? Yes. I actually went to junior college for two years in uh, Dallas at a junior college there, and then transferred up to ORU, Oral Roberts University, my junior year, and that's when we met. So uh, at the time, I will say... Franciscan University had not had its revival, and Benedictine College as another college, Catholic college option, did not really have the fervent spiritual life that, that I was looking for. And so um, my dad had come across Oral Roberts University in his travels as a businessman and was really impressed with the students there. And so that's how I ended up there. My brother ended up there, really wanting an authentic Christian experience. Although it was not Catholic, it ended up really grounding me in my Catholic faith, I think, because as kids would ask questions— and challenged me, I had to dig deeper and find some answers. So kind of unusual that we went to a Protestant university, but yet it really solidified uh, my Catholic faith. Now, was there a, a good, active Catholic group at, on that campus, or were you just the oddballs? Well, we were some of the uh, uh, remnant Catholics. We were a very small minority. Um, we got to know each other, a group of us, because we played uh, at a guitar mass on Saturday night at one of the parishes up in uh, Tulsa. So from that grew personal friendships, and um, so, but yeah, there weren't too many. We were some of the few token Catholics there, but through that ministry uh, of uh, playing music for Mass, we got to know each other uh, personally. Well, that's very interesting. Oral Roberts uh, himself, I believe, was a, uh, one of the early people in the what we today call the charismatic renewal. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was Pentecostal. He had an old um, tent ministry, a uh, uh, healing um, service that he used to go around in um, the central uh, U.S., mo- uh, around um, um, Oklahoma and different places, Arkansas. Uh, he was Methodist by um, denomination, but he was really Pentecostal, and, and the university was that way. And he had a Weekly television program, too, as I recall. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, so you've met, and at some point in time, you decided to get married. How yes. Did, how did that happen? Well, we uh, became friends first. Uh, I knew her brother, John, and as we um, got to know, uh, John and I were good friends. Uh, he, was, he was up the year before her, and then um, she was tagging around with everything we did, and the more I got to know her, the more I, I liked her. I, I liked uh, her personality and her spirituality. And uh, we just became friends really rapidly. Now, I, I don't remember. Did you get married in Dallas? Or did, had you moved to Dallas when you got married? Or We I, did. Um, Daryl was a year ahead of me, so he graduated the year before me. He came back to Dallas and settled. He kind of had a choice of either going back to Indiana or settling in Dallas. And I think he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Looking at um, the Dallas area, there was a beautiful Catholic charismatic prayer community there called the Christian Community of God's Delight, and that really was an interest of his, and that was something that I was already a part of when I went off to college. Okay. So he chose to move back to Dallas, and um, and then I finished school, and then we actually married in Dallas at the at Mount St. Michael's where the community actually met. So. Was it in the chapel? Or I it was don't in the know. chapel, mm-hmm. in the cha- which is relatively small. Yes. It was. It, it was. seats about 100, 150 people at max, I would think. Right. So it was a fairly intimate wedding, but it was it was what we wanted. And, you know, after a year of being apart, we couldn't wait to get home and just start life together. So 
God works in strange ways. He does indeed. He does. He does so does that Daryl is not a farmer, but he's done something else. Right. My my uh, brothers and brother-in-law are still farming, but uh, I was called to, to something else. Now, D- Daryl, what was your degree in? My degree is actually in social work. Um, but when uh, at the time of – I had a social work uh, job uh, right out of uh, college, but um, Lori's dad was a little concerned that um, I needed to provide – financially for his wife a little bit more than what I was making. So I got into retail temporarily and stayed there 29 years. Um, since then, I've, I've done a social work job uh, for three years. I was a case manager um, in Waco. And then uh, this opportunity to be youth minister again came up. So I, God opened the doors to, for me to, to do that again. And Lori, what about your degree? My degree was in language and learning disabilities with an emphasis in elementary education. So um, so I taught school for my first five years out of college um, in the Dallas area in Richardson School District um, and then decided to quit um, because we were really ready to start a family and so pursued that avenue, which didn't really work out for us. So then I went back to teaching at a Catholic school where I had your daughter, Jean, Teresa, yes. in class. And uh, during that time, we were also doing youth ministry. So we had your other three children in youth ministry at the same time as well. So we knew the Wilhelms very well. Uh, <laughs> Many, I can remember numerous beautiful mornings with me or your wife coming out to school early and us having great discussions and conversations. So, um, so I spent three years at that, communi- at that community school, the Catholic school there. And then, um, oddly enough, at, as God would have it, at the end of the third year that I was teaching, I think the year I had your daughter, Teresa, I miraculously found out I was pregnant. So um, that's another story. But um, so... We had our children, and when they were in elementary school, I went back for a few years, and I've just now went back again um, about three years, three years ago, now. I guess. I, three years ago, and I teach in an Episcopal school in Waco. Now, that's a, the story of, of, of all of that is very interesting because uh, when we talked last week, you were telling me that, that you had been married a considerable amount of time before you had any children. Eleven and a half years, which in Catholic circles is unusual. <laughs> Most of our friends were getting married, and within a year or two, we're starting their family. So it was a, a difficult time for us to have to um, see other families move on and feel like ours was just kind of stuck. We, we just thought uh, things would come naturally, and um, it, they weren't. Uh, we, so we went several years um, without children expecting, you know, hopefully to get pregnant. But obviously there was, there was issues that, uh, we, um, that caused us not to mm-hmm. be able to. Well, you, and it, it must have been difficult for you because both of you were, were doing what you thought God was calling you to do. And you were serving him as best you could, and somehow or other God just wasn't hearing your prayers. Well, it was, it was kind of like we were doing youth ministry until our own family came about. And when that wasn't happening, we actually made a trip out to um, El Paso, Texas, to, visit, to be with Father Rick Thomas and his ministry. Um, it was with the El, youth group. With the youth group. It was a summer trip. Um, to minister in Juarez, Mexico, and there was a, a, a nun there. Her name was Sister Mary Virginia, and she was the first one, I think, that for both of us kind of opened our eyes to something different that maybe as a couple being married at that time, probably seven or eight years and still not having children, um, for her to say, you're still a family. You know, God still has a purpose for you, and, and most of the time he gives you children, but when he doesn't, he sets you apart. And what, what special plan does he have for you as a couple, for you as a family? And so that really began, I think, in a small way, planted a seed um, for us to realize that maybe God is going to set us on a different path. 
and what could that path possibly be? It wasn't easy the years that followed trying to kind of get over that sadness of not having a family of our own. But God is so faithful. Um, On another trip with the teens, um, he always works through teens with us, it seems like, but um, I was wrestling with it and just said, Lord, I think Daryl was pretty much okay with it. But as the, as the woman, it was really hard for me. Mm-hmm. I said, Lord, I just want to be over this. I want to not have to worry about this anymore or think about it or every retreat that would come bubbling up and I would get, you know, that would be the focus of, of however God was trying to deal with me. So I went to this small chapel and I opened my Bible just randomly, and I don't do that very often, but it landed on Isaiah 51, 4, and it starts out, Rejoice, O barren woman. I was like, wow, Lord, you know, you could have softened the blow a little bit, <laughs> just a little bit here. But that was it. But then as you read on, it talks about the Lord says to expand your tent, move your tent pegs, because many will be your children. And I thought, well, that is our spiritual children. That is our life. Um, because we, by now we'd been doing youth ministry for probably five or six years. And um, I just figured, okay, this is God telling me this is going to be our life. And, um, you know, it also talks in the scripture about, you know, do not fear. You shall not be put to shame. Do not be discouraged. You will not be, you will not be disgraced. And so um, I took great consolation in that and went home and told Daryl all about it. In the meantime, he had started his master's in theological studies at the University of Dallas. So yep. you can tell a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a three-year program geared towards uh, adults. So from 1987 to 1990, I was... Was that the IRPS program? It was. I was in the initial class. Uh, Were IRPS. you with, with with Trey Cashin and and Ron Fernandez from here? Uh they must have come after me. Okay. Um, he was yeah, in the first graduating class okay. from that program. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that program. <laughs> well, that was very challenging years. Um, at the time, uh, we were still doing youth ministry as volunteers. Um, the program was very demanding, and uh, so I actually uh, resigned as a manager um, at the retail company I was at, and then um, went to work part-time. Lori was teaching full-time. Uh, we were doing volunteer youth ministry, and it was very fulfilling, but very, very difficult, busy time for us. But And that youth ministry was very demanding because those youth were very active, and you met with them several times a week. Yeah, we had at least two to three times a week, um, and it was all over the Metroplex, so kids were spread out everywhere, and it took us about uh, 45 minutes at least to get to Mount St. Michael, where we met from where we lived in Plano in, in north end of Dallas. So It would take longer today. Yes, it would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would. So we fast-forward those three years to graduation weekend, and um, we I'm feeling a little puny. I think maybe I have a bug, and we come to find out literally graduation weekend, that I was expecting our first child. So, you know, I can remember looking at Daryl and going, well, now what do we do? You know, <laughs> God's timing is little, it was humorous, really, um, but but beautiful and great because I think all of those teens that we had during that time, I think our, our oldest son, um, or our son, is they still think of him as, as that little miracle baby Gregory that finally came along. So Now, miracle baby. He so was. what uh, you were telling me that some people prior to this weren't very understanding of the fact that you and Daryl didn't have children. They weren't, and but I think it was it wasn't in a in a mean way. I think lovingly they were kind of giving us our space, and I know that they had prayed 
the community, the prayer community, I know in those early, early years after we were married six or seven years, I know that we'd been prayed over to conceive a child, and then when the, we, we never got pregnant, um, I know that those prayers continued. And there were some who thought maybe we didn't want to have children. We were obviously so involved in our prayer community and everything going on there. But um, I never really um, felt any animosity from them or judgment from them necessarily. Um, but, um, yeah, it was just out of the blue. And we really just could not even believe it. I mean, it was just such a, such an amazing, incredible, incredible miracle. And then after Greg was born, um, we did realize we had a beautiful um, – spirit-filled Catholic obstetrician gynecologist, and yes. he was awesome. And um, when Greg was delivered, he's like, oh, now I can absolutely see why you never conceived a child, and you'll never have another one. So we were rejoicing in our sweet little son um, and knowing that we would never have another child. So we just took consolation in Greg and moved on with youth, our youth ministry plans. I would imagine that there must have been times in this 11-and-a-half-year period uh, where you might have felt like Sarah or Hannah. Yes. Um, on Senior Tuchik, you'll remember, was yes. our pastor at the community, and he would call us Abraham and Sarah. When when that when it, we, when it came to light that we were actually pregnant, uh, he used to call us that frequently. Like, we're not quite that old, but <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. So you had Greg, and then you had a second yeah. child. How did? Well, um, after uh, Greg, he was about um, three. And uh, we were, uh, he joined us with all the youth ministry functions. He was always with us, handed around to everybody. And lo and behold, um, Lori started feeling puny again. And we found out we, uh, she was pregnant with our second child. You know, in reflecting about this, I, I have to say that we were on retreat with some community friends, um, a marriage enrichment retreat. And one of the, one of the men that were there, at, we were having a closing prayer session and he came to me after, he says, Lori, I just have this feeling that you're going to have another child. And inside I was thinking, oh, yeah, right, you know, that's not going to happen. But lo and behold, sure enough, you know, um, God works in mysterious ways, and nothing is impossible with God. We just know that. And we look at our two kids, and, and they're reminders of, for us every day that that is true. So we have a beautiful daughter, Emily, who is here at Texas A&M, I will say. She's, she'll be a senior this next year and graduating. Wow, it hardly seems that's possible. Yep. Now we are feeling old. <laughs> Think what that makes me feel like. <laughs> so when when Greg came along, you continued in youth ministry for a while. Yes, uh, continued that. He he uh, was um, uh, born right as I got out of school, shortly after, um, and that's when the community offered instead of uh, volunteer work, they offered to pay me full time. Um, but I continued working also at Target part time, which was the retail company. Um, so I kind of had two jobs, and then um, we made it by. But then when Emily came along, it's like, yeah, I think we're going to need to uh, find a little more income. And uh, so we, we had to change direction in our life. Um, so that was, that was a big impetus for us to um, uh, move from Dallas to Waco was with a job transfer. So you went to work for Target, Target. full-time in Waco at that time? Yes, yes. So um, another two-year move that ended up to be now a 23-year move. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've been in Waco a lot longer than Dallas now. Okay. So, did you get involved in youth ministry right away when you got to Waco, or was you, you, you know, were pretty busy with with a child and a half and a full-time job? 
True, exactly. Um, I try to, and I did a little bit on a volunteer basis. There was another couple that was um, um, running the youth program at our parish, no, uh, St. Jerome, Jerome. Jerome in Waco. Um, and so um, I, I dabbled in it, and I, I really, the heart, my heart was there, but the schedule was just so crazy. So after several attempts of, of jumping in and out, I, I just had to step back while our kids were small. And um, then when our son, uh, Greg, became a freshman, um, it was a priority to make sure that, you know, he would be involved in the youth group. And so I stepped back in at that point in time. Yes. We had all these great experiences with our with the teens that we worked with through the 80s. And, you know, as our kids were approaching high school age, it's like, gosh, these are our own kids. We need to give them those same experiences because we knew how – precious and how important they were in their spiritual development. So, um, so yeah, so we did, we kind of jumped back in with both feet and, um, and took our kids with us and took them to the monastery like we did with your children. And oh, is that and one in Arkansas? Th- in Arkansas. Which and is the, uh, John Michael Talbot's. Yes, exactly. The yes. Brothers and Sisters of Charity. Yes. yes. And uh, took them to Steubenville conferences and all those things that were such meaningful, great experiences for for our spiritual children before we had our own, we now were taking our own children. So it was, it was, it was beautiful, really neat. Something we never expected we'd get to do. So, so then, then eventually you, you went full time at St. Jerome. I did. Um, I volunteered for several years as Greg went through the program and then Emily started through. <clears throat> and, um, um, I, and at that point I, um, changed careers and I got uh, back into uh, my my degree program which is social work I was a caseworker at MHMR and uh, for in those Waco. that don't know what MHMR is well it's mental health mental retardation it's not politically correct term anymore they voted when I was there to change that but they they haven't done it yet uh, but anyway work with adult mental health uh, people so I was a case manager for three years and our youth minister was a young guy um, out of Baylor, and he had been there about five years, and um, he decided uh, he needed to move on, and and um, so the opening came up, and uh, a couple people in the parish said, "Well, why don't why don't you do it? Uh, become the the youth minister?" I'm like, "Well, I, I kind of already done that. I I I thought that that uh, door had closed, and I had uh, that was behind me, but." Um, um, I, so we, we prayed and said, Lord, you know, if this is your will, then this and this and this, a, a series of things had to happen because doors had to open. Um, at that point in time, I, I had recently had cancer. Um, I had lymphoma and there was a question about, um, uh, medical, uh, insurance being transferred. Um, there was, uh, the, we, our, our housing was going to be in the old rectory, which hadn't been updated since it was built in the, the late 80s and uh, needed a lot of work. And there were th- things like that, that, that uh, Lord, if this is your will, then these things are going to have to work out. And it was just absolutely amazing that, that God answered all those prayers and the doors opened. It's like, well, I guess this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So s- sometimes it's all right to be Gideon and ask and put a fleece before the Lord. Oh, I put a lot of fleeces before the Lord because I just knew this was not what we were supposed to be doing. <laughs> um, however, in light of Daryl's sickness, you know, I said, honey, if you die tomorrow, is this what you'd want to die doing? He said, absolutely. So, you know, with 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 that kind of thought in mind, it's like, then you've got to do it, you know. 
and and the Lord literally knocked down every roadblock that I tried to put, every obstacle I tried to put up. It was just every one of them just melted away. So the insurance transfer was uh, is supposed to take like um, three or four weeks for an answer to come back. It came back in two days. Um, the remodel on the uh, rectory was done far beyond what we had even hoped, and it was it was totally gutted from the inside and redone. We had a friend uh, that was helping us with youth ministry, uh, Don O'Toole, that was a general contractor, and and they got all this stuff done and um, and has worked it was out very well. Kind of scary it all went so well and fast. But. Well, the, yeah. two things come to my mind with this. Uh, St. Anthony, whose feast it is today, began mm-hmm. life as an Augustinian and became a Franciscan. Now, he was still serving God, and he was still in a religious order, but God changed not only his, and he ended up, instead of in Portugal, in Italy. So God mm-hmm. not only changed how he was serving him, but where he was serving them. And that reminds me a little bit of what happened to you between Dallas and Waco. Exactly. Absolutely. We feel so, like we've had two different lives, two, uh, our, our Dallas life and our Waco life, and uh, it's, it's been an amazing journey. So, but it, it's still serving God. It is still serving God. And, um, you know, the ministry, is, uh, it, it was just a call that my heart, God laid on my heart to work with teens um, in the, in the mid eighties. And, um, so we, you know, it's always been there. And so we've been kind of in and out of that ministry and all. And even when the kids were being raised, the desire was there. And, uh, so, um, it, it was a return, you know, when, when Greg got older. So it's been a great journey. Um, it's, it's kind of back where we started and at the beginning of our marriage, because Lori's teaching in, and I'm doing youth mystery again like we were at And the, the kids are gone. There are no kids at home. Yeah, no kids at home. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things, too, that is interesting to me, and, and it, 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 just because you're serving God doesn't mean you're not going to have trials. You, first, there was your, your barrenness, mm-hmm. and then there was your cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, you were telling me last week a little bit about the cancer story, and God was so faithful to you in that. Would you like to elaborate a little bit about when you discovered you had cancer and, and how, how that all took place? Yeah, I, I started having stomach pains uh, in December of, what do you say, 2011? Um, yes. And they escalated. Really, I, I wake up at night with these stomach pains, and then it would go away and, and uh, thought maybe a little ulcer or something. And it, it escalated really quickly as we visited my family in Indiana that Christmas. Um, so uh, it, there was a series of miracles the way it worked out. I was, I was in two emergency rooms on vacation up in Indiana, and uh, the, um, we started making phone calls, and, and God opened the doors through friends. Uh, Dr. Bob Israel yes. connected with uh, a good friend of ours in the community, um, connected us with some specialists, and he, he pulled in a favor or two, and I was able to get diagnosed quickly. Um, I started treatment in January. I went through uh, chemo and radiation, um, and it lasted the whole process about five months. Um, and, and yeah, first you don't know what's going to happen, but you know, I have uh, not had any problems since then. So, um, God, I guess God wasn't through with me yet. He's not done. But God is faithful. He's very he, faithful. Yeah. When God gives us a test, he has, gives us the way to get through the test. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the barrenness, the cancer, and, and you know, um, 
just the longevity of married life. When you're with a group of teens, it's hard to hide feelings and issues and problems. And so we, our lives were kind of lived out in front of the kids. So they would see us disagree and things like that, get irritated with one another. Um, so that was a challenge too, but it was really good. It challenged us in our personal life. And so I think it was real. It, you know, the Christian life is great. It's, 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 there's lots of problems, but God is there to help us through each and every one and to answer uh, all our prayers. What a lot of people seem to forget is the Christian life is lived by people. Exactly. They're not all saints with halos that never get flustered, never have any doubts or anything like that. And you look at you look at some of the saints and you see their doubts as well. Exactly. Exactly. And we have to remember that everybody is is a person, whether right. they are Christian, whether they're your closest friend or whatever. And it was probably good for the young people to see outside of their own home how a couple could relate. Yeah. I think so. You can ask your own kids because they saw us really when they were when they were teenagers growing up with us and in our um, more early married life. Yeah, working out disagreements and and uh, dis- discussions that we were having and whatnot. And our own kids, I feel like we lived a pretty real life in front of them. Um, it's they they kind of know definitely what marriage is all about and what and what raising a, a family in a Christian environment is all about. And I have to say, I think our children have. Also embraced our call to ministry in a lot of ways. Yes, ways they have. I haven't really um, never dreamed that they would they would do that, but they did. So we were we were uh, amazed. Uh, our eldest son and his family lives in Amarillo, as you're well aware. Mm-hmm. And we got a call one day that your son Greg was their youth minister. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, they they had a um, their their full time youth minister in Amarillo had re, uh, resigned and um, taken another job, and so he said, "Hey, I will step in part time until you find a full time person." And um, he really threw himself into it, and uh, like, son, how how do you know what to do? And he said, "Well, I've, it's been modeled. I know I've been there, and and I watched you guys." So he did a great job stepping in for two years. Um, and uh, they were happy with him and didn't pursue anyone else too much. And then finally said, yeah, I, I uh, need to step back. It's time. Well, I know that he didn't have much of a life other than his work in the youth ministry when he was there. I mean, because I visited with him. Yeah, we're really grateful. Um, he, he just uh, he didn't even own a TV. Um, he just really, uh, between his regular full-time job and um, youth ministry, he was pretty consumed. He was very dedicated. And we're like, where did where did this come from? What's this all about? So he surprised us, but uh, he he chose well, um, doing a great job. I mean, he was paid part time, so he's able to save up some money early in, in his and life. He, and he's now in, back in the Dallas Fort Worth. He area. just uh, j- took a job transfer with his. Uh, he worked for the state um, doing um, uh, water uh, compliance um, uh, checklists and things, uh, making sure everybody's got clean water. Um, and and he took a job transfer um, and just moved like a month ago. Yes. And you were telling me that uh, he is living the community life again. Well, he is. He you know live he lived by himself alone in an apartment you know in Amarillo and very involved in church and obviously had lots of people around him. But and it was it was beautiful as a parent to watch your your son um, invest in the community that he was in and um, really made some great friends and things like that. But going to Dallas, you know, he is, he does live with some friends of ours, actually, from the community of long ago. And um, 
and it's back in kind of a family setting. And but he said, "Mom, I really needed this." He said, "This is really great to be back in a in living with a, a community of people that I have to invest every day in their life and the, and them in mine." So um, there's a beautiful um, young professionals um, Catholic community in the Dallas area. So uh, he is finding his way through that and making all kinds of connections. All kinds of Aggie friends live there, which is great. Uh, Greg graduated from A and M in 2013. So, um, so he is really enjoying that and in continuing to grow and deepen his faith. So, um, and Greg really is happy. one that makes friends easily. He's not at all shy. No, he isn't. And you know, a, a funny little thing about him: he, when the kids were growing up and they were young, we would go different places, and we would invariably run into someone that we knew, either from the community of God's delight or from doing youth ministry for all those years. And as little children. I think they always felt like, oh, these people take my parents away from us, and they're visiting with them, and we don't even know who they are. But as they grew through their life, they realized um, the love that all these community people who had prayed for them to actually come into existence. So they began to realize, this is the faith community that has loved me since before I was even born. And so now, as an adult, he is able to meet them, your son David, for example, yes. and, and just experience the love of them. Um, because we were all part of a community. We were all part of that big body of Christ. And so they've actually seen the body of Christ in action so many, many times in their life. And it's been such a beautiful thing for them that I think they naturally embrace the fellowship and community of a body of believers, a body of Catholic, uh, Catholic believers. Now, Greg isn't the only of your children that chose to minister to youth. No. Um, Emily, right out of high school, we had seen her on a retreat her senior year as, as the youth ministers helping out. And heard her give a talk, and we looked at each other and said, she has got to apply for NET because she just has that gift of being able to get up in front of people and speak and share her faith in such a profound way. So, um, NET is National Evangelization Team. And that's a group of young people. A group of young people started uh, over 30 years ago, and uh, they're based out of uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and they train about uh, 120 to 150 teens every year break them into teams, and send them out to minister to Catholic high schools and youth groups. So and I, you better, and as I understand it, when you're on net, you better like to ride in a van and not mind <laughs> sitting next to somebody that may not be your best friend. That is true. That is true. But yeah. she was, she enjoyed her high school experience, but she was ready for a break. And so we saw that gift and went with her when she, actually when she went to apply, Daryl was still in treatment for his cancer and stuff. And um, she just embraced it wholeheartedly. And we said, honey, you know, all the Catholicism and Christianity that we've tried to surround you with raising you was kind of like swimming in the baby pool compared to going on uh, a ministry such as NET where you're just immersed in the faith and how to deal with young people every day on a daily basis and and move in, and evangelize. And so she embraced it and jumped in, and she devoted her first two years out of high school to NET Ministries and, and had it's a fabulous a, time. And it's a one-year commitment, so she didn't have enough after the end of the first year. Right. And after the second year, however, she did have enough. And the funny thing... <laughs> well, sometimes you have to get on with your life. That's yeah. right. And the funny thing about her is that her brother had gone to AM and she said, I am not going to that school. I'm not going to AM. I'm going to go to Franciscan or I'm going to go to Benedictine. And she'd been accepted at Benedictine. She spent their last year on net in New Ulm, Minnesota. It was the coldest winter on record in 100 years. She came home and said, I am not going to Benedictine. I am not going to Franciscan. I'm going to Texas A&M. <laughs> so her brother has enjoyed uh, her eating those words many times over as he presented her ring to her on ring day this last April, um, she was reminded several times, remember what she said, Emily? She goes, I remember. So, 
And it's, it goes beyond your children, the, the lives that you've touched for people who are now in youth ministry. And you and I were talking about a little bit, and, and the ones that came to my mind is Doug Weisbrook mm-hmm. in Temple at St. Luke's, mm-hmm. John Matasso, and I don't know where he is. Now. He's in the Dallas area still, yes. And then Ben Walther, who does youth ministry, uh-huh. uh, but his is typical music, music coming in, doing retreats yes. and things. Josh Reichert did it for a while. Yes, he's in the Dallas area, too. Uh, Jenny Clement, who is the age of our oldest son. Right, St. Paul's. And her husband graduated from A&M, I think, actually. And he is now the Office of Evangelism at St. Anne's and Capel. And you mentioned Aaron Barda. And Aaron Barda, yeah. And there are others. And those, that, are, yes. all, those are the ones in Dallas. And I don't know how many you have in Waco. It, it is. Um, I don't know. They're, that, still, they're still in... Uh, Growing up and in college, there's some that are interested, um, some are interested in doing that and things like that. So uh, we'll see what the future holds. Now, we've got about four and a half minutes or so. When we talked on the phone last week, I asked you the question, how has youth ministry changed from the mid-80s till 2017? Yeah, when I I got back in uh, full-time and even as a volunteer, it's a whole different ball game with the age of the internet and cell phones and technology. Um, and you have to approach the, the youth differently. Um, they have a, a shorter attention span. Um, the, you have to be on top of your game um, and mix things up a lot because they just get bored quickly. Um, they, they can't um, control their their cell phones and themselves. They're connected, and if they're a, apart from it, they feel you know something's missing. They're half naked or something because they they're like, "Where's my cell phone? I gotta have my cell phone." And so we have to take take the cell phones up uh, in order for them to focus and concentrate. But you really have to um, keep things moving between discussion groups and video clips and talks and activities and service projects. All these different things, um, because uh, you will lose them very quickly um, if, if you don't keep things moving. Sounds to me like, the, as always, but it's in a different way you have to do it, is to keep the youth's attention to where you can get the message to them. Exactly. And, and delivering the message is different, you know. You can't just stand up there. The, the classroom setting is, is a thing of the past, and you just can't uh, – uh, you've got to, to present a different environment – and uh, build and community is a big short, shorter talks and more of discussion and let them figure things out and and uh, then come back together and pray and things. I'm, I'm sure the youth still surprise you though with what they what they uh, get out of what you're giving them every now and then, right? I hear from parents in the grocery store probably more than he does actually. You know things that they come home and 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 tell share with their parents about their faith and um, and they are amazed. You know I think some of us grew up in that era where youth ministry was not um, was not as well organized as it, as it is now. You know, youth ministers were not hired when we were all young and that type of thing. And so they are very grateful for the formation that their kids are getting and all the seeds that are being planted, because that is still what you do in high school is plant those seeds. And some take root firmly and blossom into beautiful things, and some just take a little bit longer to cultivate. So always hopeful. There's always hope. What would you say to a parent whose child says, I don't want to go there. It's boring. Well, we have, uh, it's a delicate balance. Um, you, you don't want to, uh, feel like you're forcing kids to do something they don't want to do. However, 
we feel like a, a very strong parental support and encouragement is is necessary because it's like going to school. You know, each year at the beginning of school, you don't know who's in your classes and things like that, and you, you you're separated from your friends. And if you um, you know, you don't have a choice but to stick with it. It's uncomfortable, and if they had a choice to to change classes, they might. They probably would. But youth ministry is the same. You don't get to know have immediate friendships. It takes a time to develop. So we really encourage parents to have them come. Really strongly encourage them to come for a few weeks, a few months, make some friends, see what it's all about. Because a one-time experience may not be a positive experience. But once you do that, then uh, they. We, we've had more stories of kids like, "I'm so glad you made me come. I'm so glad that I got involved." And uh, it's so it, it's it's that. Um, Strong encouragement to get them to come. Now, we got about another minute before uh, we have some last comments. What would you – we can look at the other side now. What would you say to the parents says, well, what you're describing as youth ministry is ideal, but we don't have that in our parish. What can I do? Well, there are uh, a lot of resources out there now. There's some great, great programs uh, online that, uh, that are putting out by multiple sources – um, so there's, there's a lot of good stuff. There's, there's life team. There's a new organization called formed. Uh, Matthew Kelly did a series on confirmation and th- there's, there's just a tremendous amount. You got Ascension press. Um, you've got, uh, the center for ministry and development CMD that has a whole youth track. Um, so there's a lot of things and, uh, you just start where you can, you have somebody with the heart and you just jump in. There's also actually a group in, uh, central Texas, that has formed recently that goes around and helps parishes that are trying to form their organizations. Now, there's also a contract youth ministry here with Matt Rice. Is that who you're talking yes. about? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Matt's very dynamic. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. What, you're welcome. Let's just in summary, what would you like to summarize from what we've talked about for folks? Anything in particular? I, I would like to, Add one thing I, we, we maybe didn't emphasize, but part of the reason we had children, and, and we, they get it. They get their faith, and we're like, well, we, we tried to form, form them in the right way, but you just never know. Um, you can plant all the right seeds, and, and whether kids accept their faith and get to know it and form a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it, it's, um, uh, you just don't know how it's going to turn out. But we believe our kids were prayed into existence by the, the community. There were many people praying, very dedicated for years and years, and we feel like that's partly why uh, we have th- that they were conceived and we have them at all. Thank you so much, Daryl and Laura. I appreciate your coming from Waco, even though you're having lunch with your daughter today. Absolutely. And we will talk to you again sometime soon. And I would like to remind all of those listeners who are here with us today that when you are choosing between the values of the heaven and the values of earth, always round up.